the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, we've been on a series called Under My Wing. Uh, do you remember the first Under My Wing Part 1? We we talked about the Apostle Paul and how what a busy man he was and how he could barely seem to fit anything in his schedule, but he made time for the young people. He brought up young men and trained them in the things and the ways of the Lord. He brought them under his wing. And so then the, we had the youth come in here that night and take communion with us. And then last week, it was part two, and we, we talked about how Jesus loves the little children and how precious they are, and we brought the little children in here, and we had communion with them. We got the chance to meet with them. We got the chance to hear from them, both groups. And I hope it brought all of us closer together. I hope uh, we get a better sense of that the church is not just in here. It's all back there. And we want to continue to do those kind of family building exercises because God loves the little children and he loves the teenagers too. So <clears throat> tonight we're just going to call it Under My Wing Part 3 because we're still talking about the things under our wings. When Jesus went into uh, Jerusalem one time, he was... I can see him on top of the hill going down into Jerusalem. And he looked over the city and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that kill the prophets that I send, you that do all these things, you knuckleheads. I don't think knuckleheads was in the Bible, but it's my paraphrase. He said, How often have I longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks? I just wanted to bring you close, but you would not. And I don't know why that is. Is it the sinful nature that we're born with that just causes us not to want to get closer to Jesus, to want to do it ourselves? Get your wings off of me. I can do this. I got my own wings. <laughs> I don't understand. But I was once there myself for 32 years trying to flap my own wings without any of God's help. Didn't want to be brought under his protection and close to his heart. In Psalms 91, verse 4, it says, He will cover you with His feathers. He will shelter you with His wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. See, there's safety in being in the secret place of the Most High. The question tonight, we know that there's safety. We, we're Christians I believe everybody in here is born again, from what I can see, what our people I recognize. And I believe <clears throat> that we understand that Jesus under his wings is the place to be. Close as we can get to him, we're going to be all right. We feel safety there. We feel his love. We feel his acceptance. It says in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. We got his joy. We just want to be closer to Jesus. That's why you came tonight. Really, it wasn't for the padded seat or the, or the nice carpet or the 
the decorations, all those things are nice, but you came because you love Jesus. And you wanted to get closer to Him through His Word, through His Spirit in the place, and so forth. We, we, there's no question what's under Jesus' wings. But since we're talking about under my wing, that's the name of the series, what's under my wings? Is there shelter, armor, protection? Will anybody find any love underneath my wings? What kind of wings am I providing? Because all that we've been talking about is taking these young people under our wings, taking these little kids. But you said, Pastor, last week you said that I didn't have to have no qualifications. I can teach them all the things that I did wrong. That's true. I'm not saying that you can't start where you are. I highly encourage you not to wait till you get perfect. <laughs> I think that might be what's going on because, you know, everybody's waiting until they get part. No, start where you're at. But that doesn't mean that we don't intend to grow and get better at what we do and make sure that our wings are more secure. So we have an obligation as Christians. What's under your hood? What's in your wallet? <laughs> is there anything under your wings worth finding? Why would somebody want to be under your wings? I can tell you one thing that's under everybody's wings in here. And I think you'll all agree once I tell you that it's your heart. Because if we call these our wings, in between our two wings is our heart. Right? So we're going to talk about the heart. What's, what's under your wings? Because that's really where people want to get up close to you when, you get, when, they, when they come. When I was, uh, I don't know, right before I got saved, I think, as a young man, there was this young fella that lived on my cove. He was 11 or 12 years old, I guess. I was probably 29, 30, somewhere in that age range. And he, his name was Chuck. And Chuck lived with his grandparents a few houses down, and his mom was there, but he didn't have a dad in the house. And he was the funniest kid. I would tell you, he could tell jokes like a comedian. He would keep you laughing all the time. He was just quite the character. He was always dressing up like characters and stuff. He, I kind of liked him. He would come down there. He wanted to hang out with me. Now, at that time, I wasn't a Christian. Like I said, I had no idea what discipling anybody was. But I just knew, I just, even as a heathen, I knew that it would be a good thing to help a young man. And so he obviously was looking for a father figure in his life, some male influence. I was teaching him a few things here. He wanted to help me work on the car, wanted to do this. Uh, I was playing in the band. He used to go to, he actually used to go to our gigs and he would do a comedy routine before we played. He was funny. I mean, he, he was a handful. And so I was doing some things right. I was spending time with the young man. But I didn't know what I was doing. And I thought he needed a little toughening up. Because, you know, he was a little sissified, not having a man in the house. You know, Grandma had had too much influence in his life, his mom, I guess. And he, and he seemed a little sissified to me. And so I was doing little things I could to 
toughen him up. You know, one, like one time we went fishing, and we had only been out there four or five hours, you know, fishing, and, you know, that seemed like an eternity to a, a 11-year-old. He's like, can we go? Can we go? He's whining and stuff. I need to use the bathroom. I need to, he was trying to think of excuses. Take me over there to use the restroom. And it was a little bitty old island. So I'd had enough. I took my trolling motor and took him over there. So, all right, get out right there. And he got out on the island. I backed up and took off. <laughs> I went back to fishing. He's like, hey. Well, I had to toughen the young man up. In my mind, I thought I was doing a good thing. How many remembers the story I told two Wednesdays ago about me running to my dad's arms and he doing like that, and then he moved out of the way and I ran into the tree face first? What's the difference in what I did leaving the poor guy out on the island than what my dad did? I'm not happy about this story, but you can only give somebody what you know to give. I'm glad I've learned since then. We have an obligation to learn to be better caretakers of this younger generation. To be better disciple makers. Can I get an amen? I couldn't give Chuck what I didn't have. Only what was in me. And what flows from our heart colors our world and our whole realm of influence. I didn't know Jesus. I was just teaching him worldly things, the things that I grew up and the things that I was learning. Heck, I didn't know much myself. <clears throat> now, I've noticed that a lot of people don't know what's in their own heart. At that time, I, I didn't know what was in my own heart. I didn't examine myself. I didn't judge myself. These are things I learned later as a Christian to start examining your heart and start working and cultivating a good heart. At the time, I didn't know, and a lot of people still don't know what's in their heart. Is your heart the same heart, for example, that you display here at church? Or is it the one that, you know, you have when you're alone and you think nobody's watching? See, you can... <laughs> how can we tell what's in our heart the bible gives us a few examples that's right be careful your speech will betray you what's coming out of your heart or out of your mouth is what's first coming out of your heart hit yourself with a hammer in the finger one time and we'll see what's really in your heart <laughs> You sound all flowery at church, you know. I, Luke 6.45, let's turn there. Because if we're not honest with ourselves, right? If we, if we just believe our own rhetoric and our own spin and we think we're that person at church, we go to church once a week, you know, and we think, hey, or twice a week, and we think we're that person. But some of us live church on Sunday and then we live secular the rest of the week We're, we compartmentalize our lives and I don't think you got but one heart in there I don't think you can split that thing like that Luke 6 45 says a good person produces good things that's not complicated is it 
A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. So you judge by your fruit. An evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And what you say flows from what's in your heart. So there you go. Your mouth will betray you. You know how you talk when you're not at church. <laughs> now, I'm not just saying cuss words or whatever, but you know, you can be awful mean to your spouse sometimes. You can talk bad, talk about people behind the back, creating strife, all kind of evil speech and communication, not just cuss words. I'm talking about, in, in fact, some of the rumors that we're spreading and things like that, uh, just running people down, gossip, those things can be much more harmful than the cuss word every now and then. Another way you can tell what's in your heart is what you're spending your resources on. We all have resources, including time, money, uh, talent, Yes, giftings, all the things that God gave you, all the blessings that you have, how are you utilizing what God has given you? Matthew 6, 21 says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. So you can tell where your heart is, is by where all your resources are. Like you guys, you're investing on a Wednesday night here. That means you're coming to church twice. That's demonstrating an extra, that your heart, it's for Jesus more than just a once-a-week kind of thing. Amen? Some of you was here last night for prayer. Then, like uh, Nita was talking, where your resources, are you scared to trust God with what he gave you? It's, it's all God's, you realize. How, how silly is it for us to hold back what the one who gave us everything requests? I would much rather have my 90% and God's blessing than 100% out there on my own. I want to do what God says. So if, if, if you can't, if you, if you feel like, you know, there's something more important than going to church or something more important than spending time in prayer, you're not reading your Bible, you'd rather read a Harlequin romance novel or something, well, then you see where your heart is. I didn't say, I'm not, I don't know what you read, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The Bible will thump this melon called our heart to see if it's ripe. The Bible will test you. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. And it exposes, say exposes. This word of God exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. In other words, it lays your heart out for you to see where it is. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God anyway. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he's the one to whom we are all accountable. I guess we could have titled tonight's message is don't be trying to hide from God, play pretend, be a hypocrite. <laughs> I 
I didn't mean to get on all that, but it's really, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. If we would be honest with ourselves about where our heart is. But anyway, I don't want to go that direction. I'm still talking about how we're developing a heart that will, will, will be something that our wings, that somebody will come into our wings and that we can bring these young kids and these younger Christians into our lives and, and really be able to help. Let's compare our hearts to nine things that I see about Jesus' heart. You ready? I know there's so many. Our God is so multifaceted. I mean, there's so many traits, but I just picked nine general ones, okay? And so these are things that we can look at and say, how are we doing? None of us are going to match up to Jesus' heart, okay? So take that pressure off. He sets the, the bar higher than we can attain, you know? But we're supposed to struggle with the difference between where we are and where we're going. And it's always our job to, to be coming higher. Number one, Jesus has an obedient heart. You wouldn't think God would need that, would you? <laughs> but he has an obedient heart. He says, look, I have come to do your will, he said to the Father in Hebrews 9, uh, 10, 9. The Lord said, look, I've come to do your will. I've come to be obedient, Father. And then when he was in, in the garden, he, his brain says, Father, if there be another way. <laughs> right? Because his brain knew what was about to happen. But his heart said, but nevertheless, your will be done, Father. Don't even listen to what I got to say. I'm doing your will. I have come to do your will. My life is to do your will. I have meat that these people know not of. I am, I am convinced. that You don't have to convince me, Father. I am here to do thy will, O oh God. And he made up his mind. And that would be a good thing for us to learn, to go ahead and make up your mind that I'm going to do God's will. Why do we struggle? Why do we have to invent the wheel every time God asks us to do something? Oh, I don't know if I want to or not. And we go through these mental games and we torment ourselves. Why don't we just say, I'm just going to do what God asks of me. When he asks and how he asks. And then I'm just going to alleviate, put myself in that position to not do it. His heart was obedient beyond the limits of his natural mind. His heart was good. His heart was obedient. And he trusted it over his mind. Because the battle is in the mind. The devil's speaking to your mind. But if you keep your heart pure, you can trust it. If you have the Holy Spirit down within you. And you're led by the Spirit of God. Somebody asked, what about you? Are you trying to see how far you can venture out from God's wings? And not get in trouble? How close you can get to the edge of sin without falling in? Or you got a totally different outlook on life? No, I want to see how close I can get to Jesus. I want to really see. I, I want my prayer life to be on fire. I want to read the Word more. I want it to become alive to me. I want, I want to be your wick, Lord, and you just light the fire. I want to burn for all the people to see. Lord, I just want you and more of you and more of you. Are you pressing in? Are you pushing away? Some of us go through these cycles in our life where we're close for a moment 
But then the pull of this old flesh pulls us away. and We hadn't made those firm decisions. Jesus had an obedient heart. Number two, Jesus' heart is fully committed to the Father. He had a committed heart. After all, he came down from heaven, didn't he? That was a big commitment. He became a human being. That's a big commitment. But he was not willing that any should be lost. He was all in to the bitter end and beyond. He was all in for us. He was willing to die for us. He was totally committed to you, each one of you. When he's committed, he's committed. And he's even now sitting at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for us, it says. Another place he says, I'm going to build a place for you, man. He's committed to you. That where I am, you can be also. He's totally committed. You don't have to worry about any commitment issues with, with Jesus. He's not going to change his mind about loving you. He loves you. He's committed to you. He's committed to the Father. Completely committed to the Father and to the Father's ways. And I want to ask you tonight, are you committed to the Father? And to the Father's ways, are you committed to the Great Commission? Or are you just take it as sort of like a great suggestion? It's good. It's, it's a good suggestion. If I get a chance, I'm going to do that. It's amazing today how many Christians, they just take everything God says as a suggestion. Well, I'm listening, God. I might do that. Let me get with my brain and I'll get back with you. How easy it is to be unfaithful when you're not committed in a committed relationship. But I'm telling you, God wants to pull you closer. He don't want you as your, his side chick. He wants all of you. He don't want some of you. He's not in, he's not in it. Better quit there. Jesus has an obedient heart. He's fully committed to the Father. And Jesus has a humble heart. I'm explaining Jesus' heart so that we remember we're, we're saying, how am I doing in these areas? See, Jesus' heart was to see other people succeed. Man, when those disciples, he sent them out two by two to go into these towns and preach the gospel. And he, get, he you know, uh, gave them power to, to cast out devils and all these things. And they came back and they said, they were telling Jesus, man, even the devils were uh, subject to us. And we were laying hands on the sick. And they were, you know, Jesus could have said, yeah, I do all that. Jesus could have said, yeah, you guys, y'all keep trying. Maybe one day, you know, you'd be like me. No, it says Jesus leapt for joy. Jesus had a Holy Ghost party. He came undone. He was so joyful at their success. And see, that's the way Christians ought to be. Let me ask you, do you get envious when somebody else does good or succeeds? Do you, well, I could have done that if I'd have got the chance or whatever. Or are you genuinely happy when somebody else gets blessed by God. See, a humble heart takes joy 
in the success of others. And, and that's the kind of leaders that we're producing here at the Passion Church. That's the first thing we talk about. We are not lead from the top down, you do what I say, boss leaders in our, in our teams and stuff, just so you know. Our t- leaders are taught to be servant leaders. Jesus says, if you want to be the greatest of all, you must be the servant of all. And so our leaders are taught to get to arrive at their satisfaction through your success. That makes sense. Some people, they're leading, they, they get all the people to do all the work and then they take all the credit. That is exactly the opposite of God's way. Jesus gave them the tools and, and everything that they needed to be successful and then he was rejoicing for them when they were successful. So he had a humble heart. This is the kind of heart that you can get in, get in close to, isn't it? It's kind of drawing you when we, we think about Jesus for a moment. Jesus has a thankful heart. Thankful all the time. Thank, I thank you, Lord, that you always hear my prayers. I thank you, Jesus. Or he don't say, I thank you, Jesus. He says, I thank you, Father. <laughs> I say, I thank you, Jesus. But he's always thanking the Father. You know, that one time when he was sitting at the table and Mary came in with her alabaster box and broke it over Jesus and poured it on him and, and cried at his feet and all those things. Everybody in the room was thinking, this woman, she shouldn't be here. This woman, she, 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 she wasted all this money on this perfume and just poured it all out at once. And they're all complaining. And Jesus said, man, y'all don't get it. He was thankful for what that woman did. He says, whenever, whenever they talk about this incident, may she always be remembered. He was grateful for things that other people want to complain about. And really, doesn't it say in 1 Thessalonians that, that we're supposed to give thanks in all things? Can you do that? Are you the kind of person that can be going through something horrible but still give God thanks? In the situation, not for the situation, but in the situation. Give thanks in all things. Do you have a thankful heart? People like to be around. These are the kind of people that you want to be around right here. If we would all guard our heart and move towards these lessons from Jesus' heart, man, these kids would be following us around. They would just sense something about you. So would the people at your work. So would your own grandchildren and children. Your spouse might even give you a big old fat kiss. What? Man, I ain't never had a baby. But I have had a couple kidney stones. And I don't know what you women are complaining about. Until you had a kidney stone, you come see me. No, I just <laughs> But it wasn't long ago I had a kidney stone that was so bad, the pain was so bad, and I've had several of them, that I was on my knees and on my hands in my living room with that whoppy job coffee table I built out in the shed, and I was crawling around the table but the only thing coming to my lips was, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. I could, I could not say, 
Anything but thank you, Jesus. You remember why I told you the story about me uh, bouncing on that log and falling, landing on the stick, and then tumbling down the hill? And all I said was, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. I'm telling you, it just comes out. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What comes out when you hit your finger with a hammer? After I cuss, I say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> we got to be honest in church now. No, just... <laughs> <laughs> so what was that one number four was heart of thankfulness number five is a heart of compassion you knew that was coming right it's it's just amazing to me that his cousin john the baptist you know they grew up together john the baptist was exactly about six months older than jesus he was his mom was pregnant at the same time as Jesus' mom, Mary. And, uh, from every indication, I believe they, they knew each other well. And, and Jesus, man, he talked highly of John the Baptist. He says, born of a woman, there's never been a greater than John the Baptist. And he loved John the Baptist with all his heart. And he's out ministering. And he finds out that John the Baptist has been beheaded in prison. And I'm sure it was devastating. If you've ever had somebody really, really close to you, one of your best friends die, you know, we all handle our grief differently, but the Bible says that Jesus went away. He went to go to an isolated place so he could be alone. And I'm sure he went to be with the Father. I'm sure he was going to pray. But this was in the midst of his biggest revivals time where everywhere he was going, the people were... We're following, and he looked up, and the multitudes was following him to the to the place where he was going to be alone. And he said he turned and he looked and he saw the people, and he had compassion on them because they looked like sheep without a shepherd. And so, instead of doing what he wanted, instead of saying, "Guys, can I have a minute?" You know, <laughs> please. You know, we'll get back together in the morning, making excuses. No. He had compassion on them, and he prayed for them, and he taught them, and he healed the sick, and he kept on loving them. You could not stop his heart of compassion. Like I've been saying many times, his own disciples were like, Jesus, you got to eat, man. You know, you're overdoing this thing. Do we ever see past our own pain? I mean, when we're hurting, when we're depressed, when we're feeling bad about life and everything, do we? are we just so focused? See, that's why we get depressed, if you want to know the truth, because we're self-imploding. It's self, self, self. Do we ever see past our own pain? Or, or do your feelings always trump everybody else's? Well, I know, you know, they, but I got my own problems. I'm telling you, develop a heart of compassion, and then whatever you're going through, 
Help somebody else in the midst of it, and you will find that your problems shrink. You'll find that your heartache will, will subside. Because it's more blessed to give than receive. Number six, Jesus has a forgiven heart. That's certainly true. I can testify to that. How much has he forgiven you? When he said from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Enough said. Never seen anybody more forgiven in my life. I don't know of anybody who could say say that after the things that he endured. God commands us to forgive. Because he asked us to love one another like that, to forgive one another, and because he knows that it holds us captive to hold on to, to unforgiveness, that it's poison in our life, it's, it's bitter to our lives, it's poison to our system to hold on to forgiveness. And though our flesh may feel like we want to not forgive someone, and boy, I can never forgive them. You don't understand what they did to me and all this. It, it's like a cancer in your life. It really is. It's eating away at you and it's, it's causing you great harm, great pain, great emotional suffering. And God says, trust me with this. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Let go of the people you're holding, that you think you're holding captive by not forgiving them. They probably don't even know you're not forgiving them. But you think you're hurting them by hurting yourself. Please, let go. What are you holding on to? Of course, I always qualify that when I say some people have been abused and molested and all these things. And so you're saying, well, it's easy to stand up there and say forgive people. And it's, it's really not. But with God's help, you can forgive but I'm in no way saying put yourself back in harm's way. I'm not saying that forgiveness means that you let that person back in your life or anything like th along those lines. But that you do, for God's sake, forgive the people who have harmed you. So he has a forgiving heart. Number seven, whew, Jesus has a patient heart. This might be a tough one for some of us. <clears throat> How do I know he has a patient heart? He's still working with me. <laughs> and I can guarantee you, boy, I, I would not have been that patient with me. It, it tickles me that he forgave the guy on the cross next to him. You're talking about somebody waiting to the last minute to get saved. But he's patient with folks. He didn't give up. I mean... Both, it says both thieves were railing on him when they were first hung on the cross. But somewhere along the line, the one guy changed his mind and Jesus said, okay, I've been waiting for this. Think about that. That's the, the last deed he did as a human before he was resurrected is to forgive that thief on the cross and tell him he'd be with him 
tonight in par uh, paradise. How much patience could you display with a wayward kid or a troubled youth if you were entrusted to disciple them? What's your wingspan? How long till you put them out on an island? <laughs> so that's one of the things we got to do. We got to grow a heart of patience. We look at kids and we say, they ought to know better, but you know, they're kids. They don't know better. You're the adult in the room. And so we have to be patient. Especially, you know, with other people's kids. <laughs> Mike could whoop your kids, but you, you can't whoop anybody else's kids here at the church, so you're going to have to, going to, have to grow some patience. Jesus was like, said, I want to be like a hen that gathers her chicks together. Let me show you a video, just a short video of what it looks like right this is patience. This is a hen who has gathered her chicks in the middle of a rainstorm. She don't have all those legs. Those aren't hers. You probably can't see it very well, but there's probably at least four or five little chicks underneath her wings. See, that? that's... Uh, that's what God's heart in you will do. You can cut it back on. It'll allow you to, to endure the storm so that they can live in the calm. It'll allow you to take the hit. Be the bigger person in every situation. Remember we talked about a whole series about being bigger on the inside. Having a bigger heart on the inside. So Jesus has a patient heart. Jesus has a gentle heart. Isaiah 42.3 says, He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. Can you imagine that? God, who created, flung the universe into existence with the words of His mouth, all-powerful, will not put out a flickering candle. He's so gentle. The one who weighed out the seas, the raging seas in the palm of his hand, who holds thunder in his back pocket, can throw lightning bolts with his fingers, who flung the stars into existence, all powerful, created the big bohemian beast of the world, the lions and the tigers, and all these things. But he's gentle at heart. He says, come unto me, all you labor heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, because I'm lowly in heart and gentle. And he wants you to be able to trust him. And that's important for us when we begin to work with uh, people in the church, that we are gentle with them. Some of us are, are okay with breaking people. If it leads to us to get our way, you know, we're not gentle. We want to do whatever it takes to climb the ladder. You know, we'll step on anybody to get to the next rung of the ladder. If given a choice, would you rather be a gentle giant 
or a raging Goliath. You know, you, you can be either one. Do the chucks in your life just need to get over it and toughen up? Or do they need a gentle hand and a knowledge that, that you're not going to hurt them? You're not going to put their candle out. You're not going to embarrass them. You're not going to be rough with them. You're not going to leave them alone on the island. Number nine, you know Jesus' heart is full of love. You know, in John 19, it says that Jesus, you know, he died on the cross. He gave up the ghost. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And then there was a great earthquake and such. And so uh, they were in a hurry to get the bodies down because the, the Passover was coming the next day. And uh, they came to Jesus and they found that he was already dead. And just to make sure, one of the Roman soldiers took a spear, a long spear, and they jabbed it into his ribs, into his heart. And John, very descriptive way, says outflowed blood and water we would expect maybe some blood if he had much left after all he had been through but many people say where does the water come in i mean we're we're not like camels here we don't have a big bladder of water in us anywhere where does the water come and i and i tried to research this a guy named michael hoodman says prior to his death the sustained rapid heartbeat caused by hypovolemic shock and what he means is the rapid heartbeat by the shock that he was in from the beating that he took with the cat of nine tails and then to carry his cross most of the way and and the beatings that you know he endured before the cat of nine tails when they they beat on him with his fist and hit him with the rod and uh, put the crown of thorns on his head all this caused his body to go into what they call hypovolemic shock and it says it also causes fluid to gather in the sack around the heart and around the lungs this gathering of fluid in the membrane around the heart is called pericardial effusion and this explains why after a soldier thrust a spear into jesus's side piercing both his lungs and the heart that blood and water came from his side just as recorded in the Gospel of John. So he was in shock from the physical trauma that he endured, coupled with the emotional suffering that obviously came along with bearing the sins and the wrath of God for all the sins in the world on that cross, becoming sin for us. Hypovolemic shock. Mm -hmm. H-Y-P-O-V-O-L-E-M-I-C. What it tells me, because he was dead before the Roman soldier thrust the spear into his side, but what it tells me is Jesus may have literally just died from a broken heart. The weight of our sin upon him and the separation from the Father and the, 
the traumatic experience that he had gone through physically, emotionally, may have just broken his heart. And when he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, he just knew and he breathed his last. Do we even comprehend a heart with such love? Some people can't even receive a heart with such love, much less think about giving that kind of heart to someone else. Some of us are, are so... I don't know how you say it. It's so carnally driven that we can't even receive that love. And I think to, to some degree, all of us are not receiving the fullness of His love because of our own inhibitions and our own self-doubt and our own ways that we see ourselves and our worth. And we're, we're still judging things of what we think we're worth instead of what Jesus says we're worth. But you know, that's why the Bible says to love yourself, to love your neighbor as yourself. You have to love yourself before you can love your neighbor. We must receive the love of God before we can give the love of God. And it says that love of God was shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost when we got saved. It's all in there. You know, to God, it's all the same yesterday, today, and forever. He sees the end from the beginning. He see, he's outside of time, space, and dimension. He sees everything all at once. And he sees the you that you're supposed to be. And he loves you that way. He loves the broken you. He loves all of you. And if we would receive his love, then we could have that kind of heart of love. So we said nine things tonight. There's so much more, but Jesus' heart is obedient, committed, humble, thankful, compassionate, forgiving, patient, gentle, and full of love. And you know, it's just like Jesus' heart just burst forth with, with just pure love so that ours could grow from it. It's like when we see Him high and lifted up, we see what He did on the cross, we grow from that. We see Him for who He is. We recognize that, that He was on that cross for me and it just indelibly changes us forever. We can't go back to who we thought we were and what we thought our purposes were before. If we examine the cross, if we examine Jesus, if we look into Jesus, we realize He is indeed the author and the finisher of our faith. He is indeed the lover of our soul. He is our Redeemer. This Christmas, I want you to Remember as we go forth that it was love Himself that was born in that manger in Bethlehem. God is love. And He was born as a human being. And He was, he was the image of God Almighty in the flesh. When we see Jesus, we see the Father. And we know how He feels about us. 
And when, we, when these little kids see us, when these teenagers see us, when these young adults, maybe some of these old adults that, that, are, that are just coming into the faith, when they see us, they're thinking, that must be what Jesus is like. Because they're Christians. They're Christ-like. They call themselves by His name. We're representing Christ. And we all have an obligation to work on what's beneath our wings. To work on what's in our heart. Now I'm going to close with a clip. And, and, and really just because I have to get this clip in every year. It's, it's my favorite Christmas clip. And I was thinking we got to be careful just thinking about Jesus' heart could cause our own heart to grow three sizes. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. <laughs> he hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. It's <laughs> the branch. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a star. Maybe Christmas, perhaps. Means a little bit more. then, well, in Whoville, they say, that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day.
You know, we all need a good cry about what Jesus has done in our heart. Crying for joy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Because my heart has grown at least three sizes since I come to know Him. Let's just thank Him for a moment. Remember where you came from and where He's bringing you to and where you are now on this journey. Just thank Him for, for being patient, for His heart being compassionate towards you, for His heart being humble and gentle with us, for Him being obedient to die on your cross. All the things that His heart did for us. Let that heart grow in us. Thank you, Jesus. We just pray that your heart would grow in us and that we would be able to, to give it out. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, anyway, the more we do with our heart, the more we have to give. And, uh, you know, little Chuck, the funny thing is, is that he was a Christian. And he was 11 years old. And he was all the time trying to get me to go to church with him. And if I would say a cuss word or something, he would tell me, you shouldn't do that. Jesus doesn't want you to do that. He was witnessing to me. I thought I was training this boy. And you know, he I think he had an impact on me because it wasn't long after that that me and Angie started going to church and, and getting our life back right and decided to, to raise my daughter here in the church. And then before you know it, we all got saved. <laughs> you just never know how things are going to work out. That little Chuck had a heart three times bigger than mine. But God, He's in the midst of every relationship. He's in the midst of every time we reach out, every time we... We step outside of our comfort zone and we work with somebody, we help somebody, we pay for somebody's lunch, we give them a piece of advice, we just smile. Do you know how important it is in today's society that we smile at one another? You know the, the TV would like us to think that black and white people can't get along? That men and women can't even get along? That rich people can't get along with poor people. The divisiveness propagated by this world right now is at an all-time high. And I was thinking today at lunch, I said, I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I am a Christian. I am a Christian. And all my decisions are going to be based on what Christ would have me do. And it is so important when you go somewhere that you smile and you, you let people know, I am not involved in all that pettiness. And I am not involved in the least bit in all that worldly mess going on. I love you. I love you. Your, your smile will tell somebody that you love them. for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. 
For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.